And back at her once again on a lovely weekend. Anytime you want to get in touch, Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com and 1-855-821-5900. That is your number, my friend. We always start, oh, we've got a busy show, we've got a busy show, but we'll get to everything here. Uh, but we have to start with the week that was. Huh? We, we have to start with yes. the week that was, must. John. We must, otherwise uh, madness may ensue. <laughs> Uh, so uh, happy to be back here and all our listeners talking about workplace right, employment law. Hopefully uh, people continue to find this interesting. So like, let me start off as usual, John, by talking about a couple of situations that I dealt with this week. Uh, the first one actually resolved this week uh, after uh, a few months of, uh, of being um, you know, litigated. This matter involved a very, very nice gentleman, had worked for a company for uh, some 14 years in a very, very senior position, and his for probably for the last 30 years have been an executive position, you know, very, very serious roles in a marketing and sales uh, job. Uh, a few months ago, mm-hmm. his employer comes to him and says, we want you to sign a new employment agreement and take on a new role, a different uh, VP position, oh, yes. but with different compensation structure, different scheme. Uh, and obviously that's not an attractive uh, option for him. He wants to continue doing his job. He doesn't want to take a pay cut. So they talk about it for over a couple of months. They go over different versions of the agreement and eventually – uh, this gentleman, my client, decides, well, well, no, that's not something I'm comfortable with. I'm not going to do that. I want to stay in my job. Well, what does that employer do? Uh, shockingly, uh, turns around a few days later and lets him go for cause. And all of a sudden now, this individual who the employer was working so hard to get to stay in a different role, now the employer says, I have cause. So they give him a three-page letter with all these terrible things that he allegedly did, all of which is nonsense. And they say, well, now we don't have to pay you anything and we can just let you go. Nice try. Now, as difficult as it is to always terminate an employee for cause, and we've talked about that many times, yep. think about uh, think about the situation. This employer is offering this person another job, working hard to convince them to stay, negotiating terms. And when this employee says, no, I want to stay in my job, now it's Now you're cause. a pariah. Now you've done something so bad, <laughs> so awful, even though we've been trying desperately to get you to stay over the last couple of months. Uh, I mean, one of the most blatant uh, cases of uh, of no cause that I have seen probably in my career. So uh, not surprisingly, we were able to resolve this case this week on good terms. And, you know, the lesson here, of course, for, for employees, for employers, cause is difficult to establish. If you're going to allege cause, if you're the employer, you better have your ducks in a row. You better be able to show that the employee is guilty of misconduct. You better show that you've dealt with it, you've tried to deal with it, you've provided warning suspensions, uh, you gave them an opportunity to improve, and you failed. You can't simply come out of, uh, with something out of thin air that doesn't exist and which contradicts your uh, behavior up to that point. So this really wasn't even a difficult case. I mean, it, it argued itself, uh, and it, almost a waste that lawyers had to be involved in a case like that. If the employer wanted this employee gone, they could have just let him go with severance and, and resolved it. Gotcha. Now, the second situation I'll tell you about, you know, it actually happens quite often. I often get people calling me with questions, but they're actually concerned about the wrong thing. They, they think that they have an issue or, or their question is related to an issue that's really not the main issue they should be concerned about. So uh, case in point, I had a, a call uh, beginning of the week from someone that really all, the, uh, all he wanted to know is whether he would qualify for EI. He was let go. Mm-hmm. He received his uh, record of employment and it had code K there, uh, which he didn't know what it meant. And he really wanted to know, with this code on my record of employment, do I qualify for employment insurance? Okay. So that was a two-second answer. Yes, you do. But then I said, well, l- let me ask you a couple of questions. So how long had you worked? He'd worked for a company for just shy of four years. What were you doing? He was a production supervisor in a plant. 
Uh, he was 45 years old. And, well, what, what kind of severance did you receive? Well, they gave me three weeks, the standard. Uh, well, wait a second. Mm. Three weeks, that's it. Guess what, sir? You're actually owed about six months of severance. And he was shocked. He, he, he had to repeat that twice. He thought that I didn't hear him correctly. Yeah. Uh, so he's calling me about EI. He's calling me about does it qualify for EI. And I told him, sure you do. But he really he had no idea that he should be concerned about severance. He had no idea that he's entitled to more than a week of severance per year of service. So, and I get that often. People calling me with questions about you know overtime. People calling questions about can I make the company give me a reference letter? Right. Not realizing that in fact they could be owed tens of thousands. Yeah, of the dollars. big elf in the room yeah. is this improper severance. And, right? and, and for this person, we're talking about over twenty five thousand dollars difference. Huge money. So uh, remember, when it comes to termination of employment, you really should be concerned about severance. Why? Because most employers do not provide proper severance, and at least not off the bat. They assume that you're going to be like this person. You're not going to know mm-hmm. well, how much severance you should be getting, or you're not going to realize. Or if you do realize, maybe you'll just accept the bad offer and not do anything about it. So very important. Use the severance calculator, severancepaycalculator.com. Call me like this gentleman did. We can talk about it and in the span of a couple of minutes. I can tell you if you've got a proper severance or not. Or call us on the show. We've got a couple minutes here before we take our first break. Give us an update on the Future Shop cases because this, you know, this is all big in news and it was a fervor for a few weeks. Now it's kind yeah. of uh, quieted down a bit, right? Well, you know, so the hope initially was, and I'm going to be very honest with you, and maybe the folks at Future Shop's last Best Buy are not going to be happy. Well, too bad. Uh, and my hope is to be able to resolve these matters just through negotiation. We don't need legal action. These are straightforward matters. These people were underpaid by significant amounts. Well, here's what actually happened. Here's what Best Buy has said. Well, about a year or less than a year after these people were let go, there were most of them, all of them, uh, or at least most of them, were made to sign new employment agreements. Just by coincidence, right? And one of the things... Just prior to the year they let go. Uh, just, okay. yeah, less than a year before they were let go. Okay. And in that agreement, lo and behold, there's a termination provision that tries to limit their severance. So conveniently, they're made to sign these agreements. Oh, a few months later, now we have to let you go. Oh, and by the way, because you signed this agreement a few months ago, now we don't have to pay your full severance. Now we just have to pay a small a fraction, a small portion of your severance. Well, wait a second. Uh, that's not really kosher. And there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, in many of the cases, it does not appear that Best Buy gave the employees anything in re- return for signing Which is the key agreement. thing for that, right? We've, we've talked, talked about that. We've yeah. talked about that. To get a contract to be enforceable when you have an existing employee, you have to offer them something in return. And in many cases, that didn't happen. The other issue with that is here's how these contracts were, enter- were entered into. Hey, John, don't worry about it. Just sign this agreement here. Everything is cool. Okay, I'll sign. I don't know what you're talking about, but you told me it's fine. So this is not wow. a situation where the agreements were explained to the people. They were not given these agreements in, in many of the cases uh, to, to take home and understand. And now all of a sudden, uh, Best Buy is trying to rely on them. I think differently. I don't think they can, and I'm going to pursue that. We'll talk about a little more about that after we take our uh, first break here. Lior at employmenthour.com is the email. The number is one 821 5900 And check out severancepaycalculator.com. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. Email Lior anytime. Lior, L-I-O-R at employmenthour.com and one 821 5900 Just before the break, we were talking about the fallout from all the future shop uh, layoffs and lettings go and compensation and lack thereof. Yeah. Right? So the idea being that uh, Future Shop slash Best Buy had the employees sign new agreements less than a year before they closed all the Future Shop stores. 
And now they're saying, well, that agreement that you signed limits your entitlements, so we don't have to give you full severance. So I've already talked about the fact that the employees didn't receive anything in many cases in return for signing mm-hmm. the agreement or that the, the way that the agreement was entered into really did not afford people the opportunity to consider, to understand the agreement, to get some legal advice. But there's another issue. If, in fact, uh, FutureShop knew when these agreements were entered into that they're about to let people go, that they're about to close shop, I think that would be bad faith, and I don't think those would be enforceable just because of that. If I know I'm going to let you go, so wait a second, how do I save some money? I'm going to have John sign an agreement right now and let him go afterwards, and by doing that, I'm saving a lot of money. That's bad faith, and and an agreement that's entered into in bad faith cannot stand. So I'm going to put uh, Future Shop slash uh, Best Buy to the to the test here and sh- have them show me that they had no idea less than a year before that they're going to be closing down their stores across Canada. I think that's going to be probably fairly difficult to establish. So to me, it's a shame that we can't, couldn't resolve these matters uh, through negotiations, and we have to now put, potentially take legal action. Mm-hmm. But certainly we're not planning on backing down. These people are owed severance. They worked for many years. Many of them did a very good job, and they're owed what the law says they should have. So we're certainly not going to back down. You got it. Let's go through some points here, and I'll give you the header, and you fill it in. You need an employment lawyer when? Right. How about and, that? You know, here's the Pick thing. one. <laughs> well, we've already had uh, someone calling me the other day, as I've said, that they thought they needed a lawyer because they wanted to get EI, and you may. But there are some situations where you really, if you're in this situation, you need to get some legal advice sooner rather than later. Okay. Uh, for instance, you've been let go. Well, that's, that's obvious, that's, right? That's the big one, yeah. John. That yeah. is the big one. If you're let go, it doesn't matter if it's for restructuring, cost-cutting, because you did something wrong, because the company is relocating or, or sold. If you are no longer employed, you have to get legal advice. You have to make sure that you've received the compensation that you're, you're owed under the law. There, uh, it's easier uh, – sorry, it's, it's not as easy as it appears. You may go on the Ministry of Labor – you're going to get the wrong information. You've got to give us a call and find out what you're owed. And you cannot count on your employer giving you your full entitlements. In many cases, in the vast majority of cases, unfortunately, that's not the case. People are not going to get proper severance and they're going to walk away uh, with their severance letter. Do you know how many times, John, uh, I, I speak to people – uh, after they've signed their severance letter and they say, now I heard you. Now I know I should have gotten Darn advice. It. Can you do something for me? Right. And most of the cases, if you've already accepted the severance offer, if you've signed off on it, there's nothing I can do. And uh, even though you, you could have been underpaid by $50,000, if you've accepted it, you've accepted it. Talking about things you need in employment and when you need them, how about, uh, well, for the savvy employee that notices that the employer is building up a case of, of bad performance reviews, right? Yeah. How about that? Yeah, and you know, oftentimes that's what an employer does. It may build up its case so they can terminate an employee for cause. How do they do that? Well, they may all of a sudden give you bad performance reviews. So they, they put you on a performance improvement plan. They give you warnings that your performance is not good. Uh, all of a sudden, you're like, wait a second, I've been a very good employee. Now I have these uh, these things uh, stacking up against me. So if, an, if the employer is trying to build up a case to ultimately let you go for cause, you want to do something about it. And you're going to speak to me. And one of the things you, we're going to want to do is to put uh, your – if you disagree with the, the, uh, the discipline or the comments or the performance uh, criticism, you have to put your position in writing on the record with that employer. You have to make it clear that you're not agreeing, that you're not accepting – 
It cannot be considered, well, wait a second, we told you you've done this wrong and we gave you a letter. You never said anything about it. Obviously, you agreed with it. So we need to make it clear that you haven't agreed and what actually happened. And I oftentimes guide people through that process. I I help them prepare and draft a response to their employer so that it's going to make it impossible for that employer to let them go for cause. How about the employer has changed the terms of your employment? Yeah. Sneaky, right? Sneaky and happens all the time. So what kind of changes are we talking about? Uh, It could be changes to compensation. It could be changes to job duties. Maybe it's a demotion. Maybe changes to the bonus plan or or commission plan. Uh, Relocation. Any changes that make it difficult for you to continue working or that make the job less favorable, less, uh, less than what you had agreed on. In those cases, you have a very short window to do something about it. If you accept the change for a while and, well, let me just accept it, and then you realize, wait a second, that was a mistake, it may be too late to do something about it. Oftentimes, these changes, as you know, result in a constructive dismissal. Mm -hmm. But the thing about a constructive dismissal, you have to do something about it fairly quickly. And I don't want anyone to do anything about it without speaking uh, with a lawyer, without getting legal advice. So if a change like that is implemented or you find out that it's about to be implemented to compensation, to job duties, to location, give us a call. Let us talk about it. Let us guide you through it and give you outline what the options are so that ultimately you can make an informed decision. Probably one of the most important times to speak to a lawyer. You need an employment lawyer when? How about this? Uh, your employer will not let you come back from disability or won't accommodate medical restrictions. This is something we could cover as well with Savannah. Yes, before, it, right? it is. And, and we can do a whole show on this. Okay. Uh, an employer is required to allow someone to come back from a disability to their old job. And if that person has limitations, physical limitations, maybe they can't stand for a period of time, they can't lift something, uh, or they need modified hours, that employer has to accommodate those limitations. It's not up to them. They have to do it unless it's almost impossible to do. Uh, So oftentimes employers don't do that. They even forget about employees on disability. uh, And that's a problem because they're still your employees. So if your employer won't let you come back to work or won't accommodate you, you need to get advice right away. In the meantime, you want to contact Lior, 1-855-821-5900, Lior at employmenthour.com. Lots more of the show coming up. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. Back with the Employment Hour, the number is 1-855-821-5900, Lior at employmenthour.com. And uh, we are talking about the times, or at least when you need an employment lawyer, and we've gone through a list of things you should have one for and contact one. Here's a big one as well. You're pregnant or had a baby and your employer does anything to you. Yeah. Well, what is Lior's rule? Lior's rule, uh, you know, you got to etch that in stone. And that is you don't mess with a pregnant woman. You don't mess with the woman that has had a baby. And, and the reason you don't do that is because you can't. All right. The law protects maternity leaves, pregnancy leaves, protects uh, women having babies, protects fathers that are, are in parental leave, which what does that protection mean? It means that an employer cannot punish someone because they're pregnant and they're about to go on a leave. They cannot change the terms of their employment. Mm-hmm. They cannot let them go. And when, a, when a, a parent is ready to come back from a maternity leave or a, a parental leave, the employer has to take them back to the same position they had with the same compensation. In fact, if the compensation has since increased, the employer has to give them that new compensation. So, so, and, and there's really no exceptions to that. And it's shocking to me how many employers don't do that. 
Uh, I had a case just this week where the uh, employer said to the employee that was ready to come back from work, as well, we, uh, the, the person that we hired to replace you while you're on mat leave has other skills that we think are better for this position. Wow, no so we're going to keep her and let you go. Well, guess what? You cannot do that. that, that what do you say, John? It's a, it's a whole bowl of wrong. Yeah, big bowl of wrong. Big, big bowl of wrong. And, and you, you can't do that. There's nothing that you can do. So if you're in that situation, if you're pregnant and your employer is retaliating against you because you're upset that you're pregnant or you're going to take a mat leave, or if you're on mat leave and you found that your employer is letting you go, or you're coming back and the employer is not going to take you back to your job at all or to a different position, you've got to talk to me. You've got to talk to me right away. The law provides some very extensive protections. So the law is there to protect you, but you need to make that call. You need to get some legal advice. If you're in that situation, you can't hesitate. one 821 is that number Lior is talking about. You need an employment lawyer when you're not getting paid overtime. That's How many right. times a week do you get this call? I get this call a lot. And, and you know, in fairness to, to employees and employers, uh, sometimes the issue of overtime can be confusing. It's not clear. Uh, oftentimes, uh, employers think, well, just hourly employees get overtime. If you're on a salary, you don't get overtime, so we don't have to pay you overtime. That's wrong. Usually, employees that are not managers, managers are exempt from overtime. Most other employees get overtime, even if they are salaried. So as long as you work more than 44 hours a week, you're entitled to any hours on top of 44 to be paid to you a time and a half, overtime rate. So that's very, very important to understand. And I have oftentimes employees calling me that for years the employer had not paid them overtime. I once had a case where the value of the overtime over two years was over $60,000, huge amount of money. So remember, overtime has to be paid. And because there's a two-year limitation period, if if you're not getting overtime, you want to call right now because if the employer hasn't paid you overtime for the last five years, Mm -hmm. you can only do something about the last two years. Uh, And if you are getting overtime and all of a sudden the employer is telling you, I'm going to stop paying you overtime, even though you're still expected to work the same amount of hours, that alone could be a constructive dismissal. You may be able to leave and get your severance. So very important to understand that if you're not sure if you should be getting overtime, there's some exemptions. If you're a a pool cleaner listening, don't call me about overtime because you're not getting overtime. That's an exemption. But if you're not sure if you're an exempt employee, so for example, IT people are exempt If you're not sure, give me a call. I can tell you, and we can talk about exactly how much you're owed. So remember, salaried employees, people that don't get paid hourly, they have a salary, they still get overtime. How about if you're uh, being harassed by a boss or coworker? Definitely, right? Definitely. And, you know, this issue has come to the the uh, forefront a lot more over the last few years. A lot of people talk about this concept of uh, workplace harassment. Uh, And, you know, this could be a very serious thing. A lot of people uh, have been harassed or mistreated in the workplace so much that they've had to go on disability leave. It's impacted their health and their family and their well-being. So uh, don't let these things get that bad. If you're mistreated and you try to resolve these things internally, and you should always try to resolve it internally as best you can, if nothing is done, if it continues, maybe it's getting worse. You need to get some legal advice before it impacts your health. There's a number of remedies that are available uh, for you. Number one, workplace harassment could well be a constructive dismissal. An employer may be considered to have terminated your employment by creating a work environment that's poisoned. Then now you don't have to actually accept that and continue working. Uh, So that's one. Another remedy may be under our human rights legislation. If you're being harassed because of your sex or ethnicity uh, or medical condition, that's illegal. That's a violation of the human rights code, and there's remedies for that. 
So the bottom line is the law is pretty good in protecting employees in that situation. And when you call me, if you're in that situation, I can talk to you about how we document that, how we are establishing that, and, and outline the options for you. Uh, and at least allow you to remove yourself from the workplace until either the problem is resolved or, or remove yourself from the workplace permanently with compensation. Let's take a, a quick break so we get to more of these uh, for the rest of the show. It's, uh, we're talking about things, well, times you need an employment lawyer, which is basically any time you're employed, your entire life, you should have one, right? It's Lisa? a good idea to know, know the, the number f- for one, right? Know the you number. You got it. That number is 1-855-821-5900 at Lior at employmenthour.com is the email. And uh, make sure you check out severancepaycalculator.com. More of the show coming up, the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. And we'll keep it going here anytime. Lior at employmenthour.com and 1-855-821-5900. In fact, uh, why don't we get to a couple of emails because they came through and we'd like to uh, respond. Uh, Richard says, uh, seven and a half months of severance enough for a 47-year-old salesperson with 15 years experience. Seven and a half months. So seven and a half months, a very specific number mm-hmm. there. Uh, for a 47-year-old salesperson, I think 15 years. No, yeah. it's not even close. No, not for even someone, half, would it be? For someone with that vintage, we don't even start the discussion Till 12 months, okay? It starts oh. a discussion, and the range will probably be 12 to 14, 12 to 15 months. So you're right, probably right around half, so that's not even close. Now, the other thing is, I, I don't know too much about Richard's situation, uh, but he says he's a salesperson. So he may have a base pay plus commissions. And when we talk about the number of months that he's owed, it's based on his total earnings. Mm-hmm. So if, he, if his total earnings based on commission, for example, is $100,000 a year, but his base is only 50000 well, the, the severance is going to be based on the 100000 because that's what we would have expected him to earn if he had worked for the next 12 months or 14 months. Right. So, so not only are we looking at the number of months for someone like Richard, we, we look to make sure that he's going to get compensated on the basis of his total compensation. So no, seven and a half months, it's not close. It's not even, uh, not even remotely close. Lior at employmenthour.com. We've got Don says, I work at a dental office and a new dentist is about to... Uh, by the practice, we've been through this before, the dentist I'm working for has said to all employees that if we don't go work for the new dentist, then we resign. Is that correct? Uh, no, that is not <laughs> no. correct, John. And that's, that's you know, nonsense, really. Uh, and in, in that situation, no, she does not have to go work for the, uh, for the new employer, for the new dentist. If she decides not to go work for the new dentist, just because she doesn't want to. You know what? I'm going to decide to go to a different practice. There's no real good reason other than I don't want to. She will still get severance, but she may not get her full severance. She'll only get her minimum severance. So, so that's number one. It's still a termination. She still gets severance. If there's a good reason as to why she's not going to go work for the new dentist, maybe the new dentist is going to change her compensation. Maybe he's going to change her hours of work or days of work. So there's a good legitimate reason like that. If there is such a good reason, then she's going to be entitled to a, her full severance from, uh, from her employer. Either way, it's not a resignation. She shouldn't be bullied into anything. Uh, no way, no how. We'll get to one more email here before we get to another topic for the day. Uh, let's go to Sean. Sean says... Uh, I've been accused by my employer of running a competing side business. Uh, I've been suspended without pay while they investigate. Can they do this? Well, the, the first question I would have for him is, does he in fact run a competing right. side business? Because if he does, that would be cause for dismissal. So suspension or no suspension, the employer can't terminate him for cause and not paying him anything. Mm-hmm. Now, assuming that's not true or there's some misunderstanding, it is not appropriate for the employer to suspend them without pay. And, and here's why. A suspension without pay is a disciplinary measure. So what this employer is doing 
It's imposing discipline on him while they're determining whether discipline should be imposed. So they're putting the cart before the horse. They can't do that. If they don't want him in the workplace, I guess they can suspend him with pay. But they can't say, well, I'm going to discipline you while I'm determining whether I should discipline you. So by <laughs> doing that, that is a constructive dismissal. He could, he could treat it right now, if he so chose, as a constructive dismissal, potentially leave and say, I'm, I'm gone, I'm resigning, and require the company to pay severance. That said, I would strongly, strongly recommend not doing that, at least until he speaks to me. So give me a call off air, Sean. Let's talk about that. Uh, and I want to find a bit more information, mainly, in fact, if you were uh, running a side business. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred is the number to get hold of Lior or Lior at employmenthour.com. Let's talk a little bit about post-employment obligations. We, we've done this on previous shows a couple of weeks ago. We talked about non-competes and how enforceable or not enforceable they are. There's also something called a non-solicitation obligation. What is that? Yeah, a non-solicitation obligation is a term in an employment agreement that prevents an employee from hiring uh, an, an existing employee if they leave. So I don't want you to, do, to raid my staff. Or it prevents an employee that, that leaves a company from going after their former employer's client. So you can't solicit the, your former employer's client. Now, for most people, that something like that would be enforceable. Mm-hmm. So if you agree in an agreement not to solicit, that's enforceable. By the way, that has to be a creature of an employment agreement. There's no automatic legal obligation not to solicit clients or former employees, at least not for most people. So that obligation has to exist as a creature of an employment agreement. But if you sign an employment agreement that says that, for most people, that would be enforceable. Now, for most people, that shouldn't also be a big problem. Where it could be a big problem is if, let's say, you're in a sales position and you have a book of business. And as a result of that uh, non-solicitation, you're let go. Now you can't, you can't go back to your book of business. You can't take your clients that you've had with you for years and years and years. So if you're a salesperson and you don't have a book of business, oftentimes that's your most important asset. So you, you have to be mindful of that. You can't just sign something like that, ignoring it, thinking, well, it's not going to be enforceable or maybe the employer is not going to try to enforce it against me. If you sign it, you have to live with it. For most people, it may not be a problem, but some people could be well uh, concerned by it. What if it's the other way around and your clients come up to you saying, hey, I heard you went on your own. I always like dealing with you. I'm going to leave those guys and come deal with you. For the most part, that is fine, what you've described, because you haven't solicited anyone. Right. Uh, it's, it's very different uh, not to solicit from not accepting business. So if you're not soliciting, but your, you know, your former client found you on LinkedIn or Facebook, and they know you started your own business and they want to work with you, that's fine. You can do that. Now, the one cautionary thing I'll say is just in case your former employer says, well, I think you've solicited this client. Yes. How do I know they came to you? Right. You want to have some sort of a record that they contacted you. Maybe after the client contacts you, you send them an email confirming that they were, in fact, the ones that, that reached out to you and, and they're the ones that found you and you were not the one that yeah. went after them. And if questioned, you can show that document, you can show that email uh, because your former employer may be very upset that you're working with a client thinking that you, in fact, did something wrong, that you solicited them even though you didn't. one 821 dot com. We'll take a short break at tomorrow of post-employment obligations here on the show. In the meantime, check out severancepaycalculator.com. The Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM 640 and AM 900 CHML. one 821 dot We were talking about uh, before the break, post-employment obligations. So how long, let me ask you this, how long does an employee have to keep information confidential if there is such a thing with that job, right? Right, and... 
you know, generally speaking, a, uh, a confidentiality obligation will be uh, one of the, the main things you'll find in an employment agreement. One of the uh, things that a smart employer is going to do in an employment agreement is put in a term that says, if we let you go, you have to keep confidential everything that's not in otherwise in the public domain. Okay, so if we do something unique, something that's special to us that our competitors don't know about, that we don't want our competitors to know about, you have to keep that confidential forever. Uh, or as long as it's not in the public domain. So if your employment agreement says that, you have to abide by it, and not abiding by it could be a, a pretty serious matter. You, you'd probably get sued if you don't. My advice, though, is to go beyond that, is, and is this. Even if you don't sign an employment agreement with a confidentiality provision, I would still err on the side of caution and not go and disclose confidential information of your former employer. So I don't like people saying, well, yeah, I never agreed to keep things confidential, so I can take all my employer's trade secrets and uh, go across the street to a competitor and give those to them. Uh, that is an invitation for a lawsuit, which may or may not be successful, but why engage in such a battle anyway? So generally, I always advise, if your employer does something that's unique, information that you have that's confidential, that they wouldn't want the public or competitors to know, keep it confidential. Keep it confidential forever. Uh, don't reveal it whether or not you sign an employment agreement. Let me flip this over to the employer side now. So how can an employer protect itself from being hurt by employees who leave? The best way to protect yourself as an employer is with a proper and comprehensive employment agreement. It's still shocking to me how many employers hire people on a, on a handshake or on a, you know, on a phone call. That, that's just... That's old news. You can't do that. It's impractical. You expose yourself if you're the employer to liability. The most important thing you can do as an employer when you hire someone is have them sign an employment agreement. It protects you. It protects your trade secrets. It protects your clients. It protects your business. It also could save you a lot of money if you want to have a termination provision in there. It's the best thing you can do. It can give you flexibility. Mm -hmm. You can contract for the right to change compensation and to change terms of employment if you want. But if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to have an employment agreement with an employee, don't complain then that you want to do things and you can't, you're not allowed, the law is interfering. The law gives you a chance as an employer to enter into an employment agreement that gives you a lot of powers. If you don't take that opportunity, really you have no one to blame. one 821 5900 that is Lior's number. You can email us as well, Lior at employmenthour.com. So is it, is, it, is it really a big deal if an employee signs uh, contracts that have non-competition obligations, really? It could be a huge, obli yeah. uh, huge deal, depending on the industry, depending on how comprehensive it is. So for example, let's say, let, let, let's take an employment agreement that, uh, that is common. Let's say that agreement has not only a non-competition obligation, John, but it also has a termination provision that limits my severance. Okay. So here's what that all means. It means that the employer can let me go at any time, pay me almost nothing because I signed a termination provision. Oh, and by the way, if that happens, I can't work in this industry in this country for two years. Wait a second. That's just awful. I don't have a job. I don't have severance, and I can't work in the industry for two years. You're cutting your own legs off there. It's yeah. terrible. So uh, in many cases, I, I could see situations. If you've worked in a particular industry your whole life, and that's what you do, that's what you know, that's where people know you. If you then sign a non-competition obligation that says you can't work in that industry for two years or whatever it is, even though that may not actually be enforceable, mm -hmm. it's still very, very bad, a very bad idea to do that because you're, you're, invi you're just inviting legal action against you. And if you then are prevented from working in that industry for a period of time, that 
that could be fatal. So in some cases, it may even be worthwhile rejecting a job if it comes with a very restrictive non-competition obligation. Uh, let's bounce over an email, my friend. This says, Bernie says, I'm an employer and an employee that has been on disability leave is trying to return back to work and has provided a doctor's note saying that he is fit to return. I don't think he's been honest with his doctor and I'm concerned about taking him back. What should I do? God, usually it's the other way around. Right? It is, Get back yeah. to work now. Yeah, that's right. right. Uh, but, you know, it, it's actually prudent for Bernie because Bernie wants to also protect him in his business. He doesn't want this person getting injured again at work or, or uh, having a medical condition and making things worse. So if there's, a, if there's a concern, I would say err on the side of caution. What I mean by that is get more information from the doctor, okay? Write a doctor a letter with some specific questions uh, and, and specific information about the job that you're expecting the employee to do and ask that doctor whether the person can do this specific job in these specific circumstances. Once you've done that, once you've sent that information, that doctor has to address it and and provide you with a more comprehensive response. And if you still get that information and it says, yes, this person can definitely go back to work and do the job, well, that's all that you can do. Uh, I wouldn't insist on the person going to an independent doctor, really, in most Mm -hmm. cases. I would simply ask their doctor to provide other information. And it's fine to say to the employee, employee, until we, we have your doctor answering these questions, you cannot come back to work. Uh, so do that, and that, that should be a, a, as good a protection as you can have. Appreciate the, uh, the email, Bernie. We were talking about post-employment obligations as well. Um, how about the other end? Someone's about to accept a job, and the contract has a non-compete. Can they negotiate that somewhat with an employer? You know, it, it's it's tough one because if you're going to go to the employer and say, I want to take this non-compete out of my contract, the employer may think, well, wait a second. Are you saying you're coming here to maybe learn how we do things and then go work across the street? That could be very suspicious. Right. So one of the ways to – well, there's a couple of ways to negotiate a non-competition obligations. One is per- perhaps to just ask that the period of time that applies will be reduced. So maybe instead of not competing for two years, we'll make it one year. So reduce the, the uh, implication or, or the significance of the, uh, of the non-competition obligation. Another way to negotiate is to say, okay, employer, you don't want me to work for, in the industry for two years, fine. Now then, let's talk about severance. I want to make sure that if you let me go, I'm going to be compensated for those two years. Right. So let's agree now that I'm not going to work for two years, but you're going to pay me two years severance. It's only fair. Otherwise, I'm going to be a loser on both ends. I'm going to get Smart. a lot less severance. And I'm not going to be able to work. So you should be able to negotiate that on that basis. And if an employer refuses, I'd probably be quite suspicious. We'll take one more break. In the meantime, the number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That is Lior's number. You can email as well, Lior L I O R at employmenthour.com. This is the Employment Hour on Talk Radio AM six forty and AM nine hundred CHML. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Lior at employmenthour.com is the number. We were talking about uh, post employment obligations. Is there, a, is there a connection between the amount of severance an employee gets and their obligations to not compete the former employer? Yeah, it is, actually. I mean, we, talk, we always talk about the main factors that go in deciding how much severance you get. So the length of employment, the age, and position. But if you are, in fact, bound by a non-competition obligation, which is going to make it more difficult for you to find a job, that could increase the amount of severance that you're owed because now you're, you're handicapped. You can't necessarily find a job 
as easily as you, as you could if you weren't bound right. by that. So one of the factors would be, are you bound by non-competition obligation? Is there something that makes it more difficult to find another, another job? So you actually may be entitled to more severance just because you're bound by a non-competition obligation. Lior at employmenthour.com. We'll get to one more email here and uh, discuss some other things. Lisa, quick question. My employer has cut my hours in half. What do I do? Yeah, and you know th- that's, that's a tough one because she, she really, if we were to ask Lisa, well, what do you want? She'd say, I just want my hours back. I want to continue doing my job and, and not get paid half the amount or, or work half the hours. The reality is if the employer refuses to change that and she's asked and they're saying, no, we're doing that, she has two options and two options only. Option number one is she can accept the change and that now becomes the new terms of her employment. She works half the time, gets half the pay. And that's also a problem because if the employer lets her go down the road, now her severance is going to be calculated on the basis of the reduced salary. But that's option one. Option two is she can say, well, no, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to consider that to be a constructive dismissal, leave, and get my full severance. The benefit of doing that now is if she were to leave now as a result of that, she gets her full severance on the basis of the way her salary has been up until now, which is better than if her employee is terminated down the road and she would get half the severance. So the options are accept, and that becomes the terms of employment, or not accept, resign, and get your full severance. Those are the options, but please, please, Lisa, if you're going to look at resigning in order to pursue a constructive dismissal, do not do that. Do not do that until you speak to me because there's a few other pieces of information I need before I give you the green light to go ahead and resign. And there's a good way to figure out the dollar amount anyway, and that is severancepaycalculator.com, right? That's right. Probably the only way other than calling us is right. to go to severancepaycalculator.com. You can do that right now. You can do it on your phone. You can go on your, on your laptop. A uh, very user-friendly tool. It's going to ask you three questions and three questions only. How long you've worked? how old you are, and the type of job. You just pick it from a drop-down menu. And then, then it's going to tell you how many months of severance you're owed. Maybe you just lost your job right now and you want to know if the six-month severance that you've been offered or the six weeks or the 12 months, whatever it is, you want to know if that's fair. Well, severancepaycalculator.com. Maybe your employer suggested to you that they're making some changes and you want to know, well, wait a second, if I'm going to be impacted by that, how much am I going to get? Or maybe you just want to know. You just was always, were always curious sure. what happens. Who is not, right? Severancepaycalculator.com. It's free. It's quick. It's accurate. I encourage everyone to check it out. Tell your friends if they lost your job. Just check it out. Severancepaycalculator.com. And you've had a couple, literally a couple hundred thousand hits on this thing since we uh, put it together, huge right? Huge amount, John. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really overwhelming. Uh, you know, there's been some articles about it in the Globe and Mail and a few other places. It's a really, really neat tool. Uh, I'm very proud of it, and I'm very happy that people have found it useful. And the, the information, don't be shocked. It's, it's accurate. It's true. Yeah, I yeah. stand behind it. It's accurate. You may think it's high. You may think, wait a second, I only worked for two years. It says I should get six or eight months severance. Yeah, that they can't offer me be three weeks. Yeah, right? it yeah. should be three weeks, shouldn't it? No, that's wrong. That information is correct. Uh, you, the reason you're surprised by it is because a lot of people are. They don't know any better. That's why we created it. If people knew how much severance they should be getting, you wouldn't need the severance pay calculator. You got it. Outside of show hours, what's another way they can ask you some questions? Well, you already gave my email address. That's one way. I always answer that, uh, Lior at employmenthour.com. Or there's a different way, terminationquestions.com. Again, you can use it on your phone, on a computer. You go on that website. You post a question anonymously. Your name is not going to show up. Your email address or phone number are not going to show up. You don't have to give that information. And myself or one of my uh, colleagues, one of the lawyers in my office, are going to provide you with an answer, usually within minutes, John. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't matter, weekend, weekdays. 
Uh, we're going to provide you with an answer. Maybe you just wanted to know what your status is, if the employer can do certain things to you. Terminationquestions.com. Again, changing uh, the way people look at information. We're giving people access to that information. We're very proud of it. And there's, chances are, because I've been there myself to look at questions, just just anonymously, just well, how about this question's out there? And a lot of questions have been asked, and the information's already there, which is kind of cool, right? Literally hundreds and hundreds of questions have been answered, and there's a neat uh, search function. So maybe you have a question about overtime. Look, do a search for overtime, and you'll, you'll see a bunch of questions asked. If you have a question about uh, layoff, a temporary layoff, for example, Search temporary layoff, and you'll see all the questions that have been answered. Uh, a good way to educate yourself and yeah. see, uh, you know, you, you may be in that same situation as well. Another good week, my friend. We'll, uh, we'll take it from here and reconvene uh, next weekend. In the meantime, to get a hold of Lior, 1-855-821-5900 is the phone number. Email is Lior, L-I-O-R, at employmenthour.com. Right there. Another fine show. Employment Hour right here on AM640 and AM900 CHML.